Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Marina Darlow. Marina, welcome to the show. Hi, Henry. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you with us. Uh, Marina is a small business owner herself and a systems expert. She refers to herself as a productivity geek. Uh, she sees her job as helping impact-driven entrepreneurs get 10 to 20 more productive hours a week, stop leaking money, and prevent those stress field breakdowns that we're all subject to. Uh, she's an engineer by training, but Marina, uh, Marina rather came to the realization a couple of years ago that working for a conglomerate, a big corporation, is not as inspiring as she wants her life work to be. Uh, the quest for inspiration brought her to found Vision Framework, a company that builds small, purpose-driven businesses from the inside, helping entrepreneurs run their companies with ease by putting effective, easy-to-use, and fun systems in place. Systems is one of my big things. I, I've always been a systems person. I love implementing systems. So that's one of the reasons I was excited to have Marina on the show. Uh, Marina lives in the Watertown, Massachusetts area. And so in today's episode, Marina is going to share with her, with us rather, their, her interesting journey, how she got to where she is today as an entrepreneur. And then we'll dive into this topic of systems. How do we develop and implement systems to help us grow our small businesses? So once again, Marina Darlow, welcome to the show. Thanks. And Marina's been battling, uh, a, is it a cold, Marina, or is it just a- uh, I don't know. It's some kind of thing, <laughs> bro, that has been bugging me for months. So if you hear me like I've smoked three packs of cigarettes, I don't smoke. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that is what it is. No, I understand. I understand. Well, thanks for being with us anyway. And um, we'll, we'll have good fun chatting about these topics. But a little bit about your background first. You studied in Israel. Is that where you grew up? Is that where you're from? Yep. I spent my formative years in Israel, studied at the Technion, um, and went to do industrial engineering and management because you can make a good living as an engineer. <laughs> and industrial engineering is way more about people than any other kind of engineering, or at least that's what I thought when I signed up. Mm-hmm. And is that what your parents wanted you to do? Or how did, how did you end up with engineering? Were you good in mathematics? What What is it that led you to study it? I was always good at math. My parents are both engineers. Sorry, my dad is a scientist, so it's very similar. And it was just a very normal, acceptable path for mm -hmm. people in my closest and not so close circle. So it was kind of clear that unless I was dismally bad in school, I would go and study science or engineering on something else in STEM. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Now, but then if I look at your resume, it looks like you didn't go necessarily into engineering, but into more project management, although I'm sure using the skills that you learned. But tell me about that, your early career. So as I mentioned before, what I really enjoy is working with people mm -hmm. and project management within an engineering environment looked at the time like combining both worlds where you get to use some of your engineering background so you know what the project is about, mm -hmm. but you also get to work with people because you get to coordinate the activities of a group. You get to see and set in motion the dynamics. You get to put the puzzle pieces together to make sure the project happens and achieves a certain result. So for instance, you make sure that a piece of software goes out into the world, although you're not writing a single line of code. Or you make sure that a line of jewelry gets into the stores from the second it was conceived in the design desk somewhere in New York, in that case, uh, to the point where it goes through uh, manufacturing, through quality assurance, making sure the budget is not horribly... Uh, overblown, and to the point when it's actually in stores. And that's what I find still to this day. This is what I find the most fascinating. Taking mm. an idea, breaking it down into the relevant pieces, putting the pieces together in a certain order so the project 
becomes a reality, gives a result and something tangible. Yeah. And on that point, before I, I forget it, that's uh, it seems to me very obvious as to why it's so powerful when as small business owners, we implement systems because again, it, it allows us to take this huge task of operating a business and break it down into components that are more manageable, right? Very true. Um, and as a business owner myself, I think it's even more critical than when you work in corporate. And here's why. Like, forgive me all the people who love their corporate jobs. In my view, running your own business has a much bigger amplitude when it comes to emotions. So in what I'm trying to say is, your ups are much higher and your downs mm -hmm. are much lower. Sure. And the overwhelm is much, much bigger because the stakes are high. It's all on you. You're the business owner. And in many cases, small business owners feel that we are what we do. It's not just I'm Marina and I happen to be consulting other people. It's I'm Marina and I am Vision Framework. I'm that person that builds other businesses from inside. That's a huge part of my identity. So when the stakes are so high... The emotions run wild. And mm -hmm. when you break stuff down, when you have a system, it really helps reduce this emotional overwhelm and actually make you functional, actually help you take the necessary action, which otherwise you might be too overflown with fear, with discomfort, with vulner being vulnerable for all this visibility with worry about what's at stake and so on. But when you have small things to do, it's much easier to do them. You know, it's much easier to write down the to-do list for the day than ponder how my podcast is going to launch in the world. Will it have enough downloads? Will it be a good marketing arm for my business? And so on. Yeah, no, great examples. It keeps us from para, from the paralysis that comes from that overwhelm, right? So it's a great takeaway. So I wanted to go off on that tangent there. But let's come back to you. You mentioned jewelry. And so you had a stint at Tiffany & Company, the perhaps yep. the most famous jewelry company. So that caught my attention. I'm curious a couple of things. And you were, um, I think, a product engineer, but again, responsible for getting an idea, a new line of jewelry, a new piece of jewelry or whatever to market from, from idea to market. I'm curious from a company as iconic as Tiffany, what, what are some of the things you learned about branding, about the way that they manage their image, the way that they operate? Were there some key takeaways that uh, impressed you while you were there? So I was actually pretty far from branding. I was on the manufacturing floor. Uh, as far as branding, that was one interesting thing. They had a corporate decision to never be trendy, to make themselves iconic and classic. And they were very, very good at, you know, being a staple of culture rather than always coming up with new things. They really knew well their clients and their customers. And in fact, when they tried to shake it up a bit, so they, for instance, they had a collection when I worked there by Frank Gehry. And I loved it. I thought it was gorgeous and modern and interesting and thought-provoking. And my boss goes, you and my wife, there are two people who like this collection. So it <laughs> didn't really sell very well. Uh, but what really sold are the things that they did the most, the uh, engagement rings, you know, the classic pieces of jewelry. So this is where the company really made an emphasis. This is what they were really doing. They were venturing in other directions from time to time. And then they would say, oh, no, it doesn't sell. Okay, back, back to normal, back to what we do. So that's in terms of branding. In terms of operation, it was very interesting to see the interplay between different pieces of the manufacturing process. You know, so the play between, you know, the waxing room on the floor where they make models out of wax and then these models go and they create the molds and then they cast and so on and so forth. And then they polish to perfection because the polishing is big and how it all flows from one step to the other um, and how it's actually really not an obvious, like it's not trivial to get the flow of the process because people in the waxing room need to know when exactly they need to finish their jobs in order for the casting people to do the casting in time. And the workload on the polishers need to be balanced for, from all the different products to make sure that the right product gets in time for 
you know, for the QA and get the slot. So coordinating all these things is actually pretty complex and a pretty impressive operation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great experience. Okay, so you, you've touched on it before and I talked about it in the introduction, but what what do you recall led you to, in 2012, starting Vision Framework? What, what led you to decide, I need to go do my own thing? <laughs> Thank you. It's a great question. I love it. So there are a couple pieces to this story. One, most simple is burnout. For all mm. the things that I just said about Tiffany, it was, it's not just that it was intense, it was a lot of, it was a grind. And it's not just Tiffany, it's a lot of corporate things. Um, after Tiffany, I worked for a big nonprofit that had a marketing department and the marketing department did something for, for a new IT platform. And basically what really burnt me out is how far removed I was from the people that the company made an impact on. So let's say you work on an IT platform for a marketing department for a conglomerate of hospitals, which is one of my last jobs. It has its place in the world. But who do you really know? Like, how do you really know that you make a difference? I didn't. And that made the daily grind so much harder to the point when after another layoff, I was just publicly on Facebook saying the project management chapter in my life is over. That's it. Uh, and not only that, I did an eight, a 180 degrees turn and went to RISD to have an interior design degree. Interesting. Now, I was still really kind of trying to find my new place in the world. And I signed up for this personal slash business development program. And I met a friend there. And that friend had a therapy practice. She came up with an innovative treatment plan. She was going off of insurance. And she was tremendously sought after. So much so that she couldn't figure out how many hours she can work, how many clients she can take on, how much money she's going to make. And to me, that was a territory I was very comfortable with. So I was like, well... This is how you do it. Here's the spreadsheet. Let's plug in the numbers. If you have five clients in this program and 10 clients in this program, this is how many hours you're going to work. This is how much money you're going to make. Now let's change the numbers and see how the Excel spits out, you know, the results according to, I don't remember, maybe 20 clients in this program and three clients in that program. And this is the hours. And she was completely blown away. She was like, wow, that's unbelievable. So for me, that was... And I think people call it a light bulb moment. But basically, this is where I understood that my skills could be applied in a different way, that I can make a difference one person at a time, but it would be a really big difference. It would be a really major impact. And I would get the interaction, like I would get to see how this impact plays out. And this is how my business was born. That friend told a few people um, and the word of mouth started spreading out and Within five months, I had a full practice. And when did when did you realize this focus on systems and that that the lack of systems was key to helping people develop and grow their business? More or less, then my mentor at the time, when I was like, she was actually trying to convince me to go entrepreneurship for about a year um, before I made the leap. And I would say, but I have nothing to offer. I'm just a project manager. Like I can't project manage and I don't want to be a freelancer. And besides, it's something that everybody does, and especially people who run companies. You know, they run companies. They know how to do these things, obviously. And she would say, no, the way you think is actually very different from many people. You think in a very systematic way uh, because you're an engineer, because you did right. project management. This is what you can offer. Um, there was actually another interesting point there. Before I became an entrepreneur, I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to matter. You know, we're back to the fact that I didn't feel an impact. And I started looking for a job in nonprofits that dealt with causes I cared about. And most of these nonprofits would tell me, we really need what you do. We really need someone to come and put in place clear processes for our team because we're running wild and, you know, we're not always well coordinated and things get lost between the cracks, but we don't have any money. So if you want to volunteer, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I, I actually did volunteer for a while, but I did. Got to pay the bills. Yeah. And when I finally realized that I can offer systems as a service to a business, 
then, you know, slowly I decided that maybe, maybe it's something to this idea. Maybe I can offer something valuable that not everybody possesses and that people would happily yeah. pay for. Yeah, and I, I can see that evolve, uh, how that evolved. And again, based on your engineering and project management experience and background. So I'm also curious, you you have a, you talk a lot about and a lot of the materials that you've shared in part of the research are about ADHD professionals. In fact, there was a, a conference at which you did a speech recently. So tell me about that and how you've found that the needs for ADHD people are actually very, very similar to what we all need as entrepreneurs. So talk about that connection that you've made there and the study and and talks that you've done on this topic. Oh, you know, when you said that there is a connection between ADHD and what we all need as business owners, uh, this is exceptionally true. So what happened with me after a while, I noticed that the overwhelming majority of my clients are either officially diagnosed <laughs> or have all the hallmark symptoms of ADD. They have, Absolutely. you know, the energy, the creativity, this, you know, I say something and a hundred ideas spring to their minds and I'm like, oh God, I'm so jealous. I wish. But on the other hand, they find it hard to navigate between these ideas in a linear way. They find it hard to execute on something specific. And that also people that get bored kind of halfway, and it's harder for them to finish things. So when so many of my clients turned out to be ADHD gifted, I'm like, okay, there's something there. And I started um, reaching out to ADHD coaches, you know, with the idea of forming strategic partnerships. It happened with some coaches, uh, and one of them invited me to speak at the ACO conference. ACO is the ADHD coaches organization conference. Uh, to speak about systems. And I gave this talk and it was really, you know, it was really, really well received. Um, and people came to me and essentially said, would you teach a group? And I'm like, well, if you organize a group, I will. And that would happen. And my first group program was born from that talk. Now, why ADHD? Because as you mentioned before, it's very similar to the entrepreneurial state of mind. These are the people with ideas, right? These are the people that instantly make connections between a variety of dots and come up with, you know, five ideas for one single way of spreading butter over the bread. So these people are more likely to start businesses in the first place, especially since, you know, if they have the hyperactive in there, they have more energy and they get excited and they get other people excited too. That's on one hand. So they're more entrepreneurs with ADHD than, you know, their percentage of general population. But on the other hand, these are precisely the people that struggle with systems because they don't think mm -hmm. in a linear way. That's their strength, but it's also their drawback of the ADHD. And this is where I said, okay, this is where I can come in and give the support. You know, I can be the Sheryl Sandberg to their Mark Zuckerberg. I'm the one that will do the operations. I'm the one that will make sure execution actually happens. And I'll be the one to put systems to channel their creativity. Yeah, I love that. Interesting observations. I, I call it also shiny object syndrome, but it's the same thing. And and my partner and co-host David Begin suffers from it as well. Um, and and you're absolutely right. It's it's the systems, and there are different types of systems that we'll talk about. Of course, it's the systems that help us. Even if it's a system to decide is this new idea, this new shiny thing, is it worth pursuing? Uh, and so when you apply even a system to that process, to that vetting process, it helps us with making sure we're not just jumping from one thing to the next. And then the, the whole process and systems of handing off, to your point, often we're very good at coming up with an idea, developing it, formulating it, selling it to others. But then the execution needs to be passed off. And that's best done if there's a system in place. Very true. Um, very true. So let's let's start diving into a little bit more about the the, the the components of it and the importance of systems and how we do it. You know, I'm reminded of it because as we were talking about this and as you were sharing these thoughts, I'm thinking about a car wash business, car wash location that we just opened a month ago, my co-host and I, and it just brought to light that even though we had some systems in place, we still have so much work to do in developing our training systems and our opening process and the systems for training a manager. All of those are systems that are critical to us as car wash operators to build our business because 
once you certainly once you get past one location, but even for one location, but let's let's expand it. When you get past one location, that's when it really things really start to break down if you don't have repetitive, consistent systems in place. Um, but I want to start with this question for you. Where where do you help with people who have an, a need in this area, which is most of us? Where do you start? Where do you begin the analysis of helping someone develop systems for their small business? That's an excellent question. Well, and there's a question that I ask to respond to your question. When somebody comes to me and says, I need help with systems, I ask first, what hurts? Mm. Because, you know, somebody can tell me, oh, I really need a system to help me with my marketing. And I would look at their marketing system and I would see where there are gaps. Maybe, you know, maybe they're not consistent. Maybe they have. But if I start with what hurts, A, people are much more likely to actually talk about their problem. B, it cuts the fat. It goes right to the heart of the matter because things that cause us avoidance or resentment and general kind of lack of desire to deal with, this is usually where the mess happens. And these are usually the places that could benefit from a good system. So for instance, let me give you an example. So I'm not talking abstractly in the air. A client hired me because they didn't, like, they realized that the business was losing money. Mind you, that was a business with, I think, 15, maybe 17 staff. And it was tremendously successful in terms of like how well known they were, how many clients they had, but the business was losing money. And when I asked like what hurts, it was immediately clear that it wasn't the marketing, it wasn't the inner operations, but it was the fact that there were no system in place to track how much money's coming in, how much money's going out. Like they did the payroll, but that's all. So this is where I start. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm completely overwhelmed and I don't know, like it hurts everywhere. I think it happened to me once. Then we really need to look like where it hurts the most. Um, <laughs> but most people know where they feel them, you know, one or two areas where they feel most pain. Mm -hmm. And Marina, sometimes where it hurts most, I have found, especially in my experience and for small business owners or uh, owners that are getting started is the pain of creating the system. In other words, that that default that I'm guilty mm -hmm. of is, well, I'll just do it myself because it's going to take me so much longer to teach you or to develop a system. I can get it done in a few minutes. Ah, how, no. how do you help people get over that major barrier and resistance? Well, there are a number of steps. First of all, people need to realize that there's a problem. And if I can show them that they can outsource and I can show them the benefits of outsourcing, it usually decreases the resistance so we can at least work to put a system in place. So for instance, I have a client and she recently hired two VAs for the first time. And she hired them because she wanted people to help her create, you know, create content for her websites. She has a number of them. And she was, beforehand, she was like, I do all this content and I write and I write really well, which is true, but I just can't, like that's just too much to do. And I need to do SEO and I need to make sure that we're getting sponsors. So there's just not enough hours in the day for me to write, but I can't, how can I outsource my writing to VAs? So what we did was said, okay, why don't you look at everything that you have to do and imagine, let's say you need to slash your writing by half. And let's say you don't do it right away because there will be a learning curve. You will actually have more work for about a month when you create the manuals and the how-tos for your VAs. So how to write a blog roundup post, how to write a hotel review post, um, how to write you know, a product review post, and so on and so forth. But let's see, like you can do manuals, right? Of course I do. I did all the time, you know, I write manuals for myself and for, like, for the people who read her. Okay, you can do that. That's doable. Great. Now let's see how much time it frees up for you. Okay, it frees up, I don't remember how many hours a week. I think it was some around five hours a week. Great. Five hours a week. What can you do with your five hours a week? Oh, and then we had like a whole host of ideas. Um, mm -hmm. I think she's now thinking about a couple more niche sites, uh, but it's a niche site about, you know, certain kind of vehicles. Sure. 
So when you show a person what happens when they delegate, sometimes they're way more motivated to actually put a good system in place to allow for delegation. And when you show them that there is a system that has a very high chance of succeeding, like it's not foolproof, nothing is foolproof, but you show the advantages and you show how much time and mental space, and this is big, mental space, the delegation frees up and how easily the delegation can actually be done that it doesn't have to be complex as long as it's clear. People are much more amenable to put a system in place. Yeah, I agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. And I I've been getting better at doing just that by, like you said, thinking about what am I, what can I do now with that additional five hours, as I said, and and most business owners, the majority of them are astute enough to know, oh yeah, I know what I can do. I can be more customer facing. I can be more developing what's next. I can be doing all of those things or more of those things that moves my business forward or allows me to develop a new product or a new idea. So that's a great way to think about it, Marina, as you laid out, because that's what then tell, gives us the motivation. Okay, it's worth me investing now in this additional time and effort to get this system in place because the reward, I, I see where it's going to take me, and that's the motivation. There's another thing. Very often, people who kind of, sort of thinking about maybe I should delegate, they do it because they came to a point of burnout, because they mm -hmm. reached capacity. So yeah. very often, just the motivation that I can sleep for seven hours a night rather than three or five, or let's say I sleep well, but I can volunteer at my daughter's ballet school, finally, because there will be someone who is writing for me you know, for five hours a week. That's already motivation enough. Yeah. So I want to, because yes, we all want to grow our businesses. But I want to give space to the fact that it's okay to be motivated by just living your life, by just having time with your family or without your family. And very often, this is actually the biggest motivation too. Like I had a client who wanted time for her painting, and that's what really moved her to put a system in place. And, and what you find is once you and once you start making time for those other things that you want to do, it doesn't matter what it is. It might have more to do with the business. It might be completely out of the business, like you just gave an example. I, I think that then we become so much more focused on getting even more efficient and developing even more systems and delegating where we can. I, I think it feeds on itself once we go on that path. But often we need help from somebody like you to get us started to understand how to do it, right? Yeah. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Car Washing podcast with an exciting announcement. My co-host David Begin and I have designed a task management system for our car wash business. It helps us manage all of the operational tasks at our wash locations, like repair work orders, scheduled maintenance, and all of the checklists that we use to keep the wash running smoothly. We call it the Car Wash Operating System and it helps us manage our operations so that we can drive maximum performance in our business. We are now offering the car wash operating system to other wash owners. If you're looking for ways to improve your operations by reducing downtime and reducing maintenance costs, then we invite you to learn more about our affordable solution at carwashos.com. The Car Wash Operating System is a task management software solution designed to help you manage your operational tasks so that you can drive maximum performance at your wash business. Again, to find out more about the Car Wash Operating System, please visit carwashos.com. So let's talk a little bit more about reducing stress. How else have you seen, especially with some of your clients that implementing systems can help reduce stress. I know, you know, for us, for example, we, we have a self-service, self-serve frozen yogurt shop. And there, there's various ways in which we've reduced stress by delegating, by implementing systems. Not the least of which is we don't, we don't have to think about every time we hire someone, how am I going to inculcate in this person what our belief is on customer service? Because we've got a system that trains them and that shares with them and then certifies them that they've got it, right? And then of course, they've got to demonstrate that. 
But that relieves a lot of stress. In the car wash business, which is so stress-filled because there are so many moving parts, literally and figuratively, mm-hmm. that, you know, for example, for my partner, David, it's about being able to step back after 12 plus years from the day to day so that every single question or issue doesn't have to come to him because you have, you know, as he calls it, decision fatigue that sets in. And like you talk about, it leads to that, to that stress-filled uh, burnout. Uh, but what are some of the other examples of how having systems in place, developing systems that you've seen can help us reduce stress? Oh, I have a variety of examples. So first, let's talk about money, because I feel that money is probably the most charged uh, business aspect for most small business owners. Money is really tied to self-worth, to kind of ex- existential anxieties and so on. Having a system to see how much money is coming in and how much money is going out allows people to plan, allows them to have cushions, um, to know that if they have, you know, a big expense. So for instance, I had a client who wanted to buy an electrical massage table because she was getting very physically burned out. She was really tired and she wanted a table to change the height according to where she works on the client's body. Right. Right. And it's, a sizable expense. Mm-hmm. Now, when she was able to, when she put a system in place and she was able to see when in her business she has enough money to get the massage table, it suddenly became tangible. It wasn't like, oh, one day I'll get it, but for now I'm really stressed and my body hurts. She knew she was like, she was booked months ahead. Uh, she knew that in three months, with her current rate going, with her other expenses, she could get a table. And she's like, okay, three months to go, and then I'll be fine. So give me give me a little bit more on, in this example, where it sounds to me like a budgeting mm-hmm. system, what, what did it look like? What, what, do you, what are the components of this system that you help her develop? Great question. So in that case, we built, she didn't have a budget at all. She basically kept mm-hmm. her receipts in a little box on the counter. We built a spreadsheet with you know a little table with income and expenses month by month so she could see at the end of each month how much money is coming in and how much money is supposed to go out now there are recurring expenses like rent like utilities like the oils that you know she buys once every while but it's also kind of recurring and then there's unexpected mm-hmm. expenses so if she decides to run a promotion or if something breaks stuff like that So she had all her expenses, you know, planned out in front of her and she had her income sort of planned as well because she was booked, as I said, in advance. So she knew how many clients she's going to have every month and therefore she knew how much money she's expected to pay. Now, obviously, you cannot predict your income um, to a dollar because you run a small business and there is, you know, some component of unpredictability, but you have the ballpark. And we decided that a certain portion goes towards her savings and certain other portion goes towards, you know, whatever's left over, basically. Some other goes towards a specific goal like that massage table. And on top of just having this budget, which is great, right? You have the budget, you have the tool, it's wonderful. We established a procedure, namely every week, I believe it was on Friday in her case, but every week she goes through her finances without fail. She looks how much money is really coming in, how much money she really spent, and she adjusts it and she reviews again what's her cash flow situation and how many savings she has. Now, at first it was really stressful. She didn't know how to do it. She like was really avoiding it because she never dealt with money on that level. But very soon, in a few weeks, it became almost automatic. She would just, you know, she would just enter her receipts, um, glance at her numbers, see how much she has, she, see how much she, you know, she needs to spend, make a decision or two, and that was it. But she now yeah. felt so much more in control. She now said, oh, I can go to Arizona in January because I was planning to visit my father, but there was never enough money. Of course, there was never enough money. She wasn't sure how much money there is, and that creates you know, the sense that there's not enough. But now she knows, and now she can plan, and she can visit her family. And of course, that is another step towards reducing stress. 
Yeah, no doubt. That's a great example. And I think it also speaks to something that I have talked about a lot on this show, which is that this term systems can sometimes sound scary or daunting to people, but a system can be as easy as what you've laid out, which is a budgeting process and system that reduces that stress, that makes it repeatable, that makes it actionable and achievable. But it could be a checklist. You know, at the car wash, we have all kinds of different checklists and opening checklists, for example. That's an example of a system. We have a point of sale system. So it's not always computerized. It's not always a, a computer system. It's anything that we implement that allows us to do either something like you've just described in a methodical way. So it gives us a plan. It gives us a vision or often and more likely something that's repeatable, something that we do the same way every time. But even when it's not something that we do the same way, it's how do we go about that, like making a decision about this investment or that investment? How do I go through that so that I can go about it methodically and that results in reduced stress and less time over the long term? And those are some of the key benefits of systems. Um, One of the things you talk about a lot is systems, developing systems that are entrepreneur friendly, as you call it. Uh, tell me about what that means and and some examples of that, of developing systems that are entrepreneur friendly. What does that mean? That's a great question. So you talked about systems, right? Like right now, basically saying that system doesn't have to be this big, complex, computerized thing, right? Systems right. can be anything. So if I, every morning, plug my microphone before I decide on the recording and that what sets me in the right mindset, that's a small system. Mm-hmm. So- Why am I saying this? Because very often people, especially, you know, the free spirits, the visionaries that go into entrepreneurship in the first place, they have this perception that system is this rigid, restrictive, annoying thing that's counter to their nature. In fact, it might it might remind us of the corporate world, which is what we got away from. Right. Right. Like I didn't leave the corporate in order to be within this rigid framework. That's right. Right. Uh, But in fact, good systems, and especially entrepreneur-friendly systems, they don't have to be restrictive. They don't have to be clunky and rigid. The key, they're actually like, I have this um, little PDF where I summarized what are what makes a system entrepreneur-friendly or creative-friendly or ADHD-friendly. They're all the same thing, basically. So there are a few key points. One, an entrepreneur-friendly system has to be really, really engaging or it has to be on the opposite sense of the scale, uh, opposite end of the scale. It has to be barely felt. So I'll give you an example. Mm. Let's say I need to do my taxes, right? And I need a system for doing my taxes and I need a system for bringing myself to do my taxes, right? Taxes, I don't know about, I don't know how many people find it enjoyable. (laughs) I don't know how many people get excited about doing their taxes. So we clearly need some kind of system to make it palatable. So a good friend of mine actually runs tax parties Hmm. where their system, so to speak, right, is to bring together a number of friends with good food and good music, and they all sit there together and they do their taxes. So this has accountability. This has the engagement component, and it has a fun component, which is interchangeable with engagement in my book. System has to be engaging. If I were to file, you know, my records, now I do it electronically, but when I had to file it, I made my files in happy colors and I made my Mm. cabinet something nice to look at. That's a good example of an engaging system. On the other hand, if you have a system that's barely there, and these are usually really good for all kinds of payment stuff, payment or, you know, product processing. So like a good cart, right? I don't want to give Amazon because they're a huge, huge, huge conglomerate. So it's hard to relate to them. But let's say stuff like PayPal or this little software called Harvest. This is a system that you barely feel that's doing something for you. You kind of just, you know, plug in the numbers and it does the rest. It sends out the invoices. It, you know, sometimes sends out the reminders. You barely feel it's there. And yet it takes care of a very important piece of your business of payment coming in or invoicing, right? So one Um, one key component of a system being entrepreneur friendly, it has to be either really, really engaging or really, really unobtrusive, like barely there. So in either case, using the system won't cause you this negative emotion, won't feel like a dredge. 
No, the idea is it was just thinking of different systems. It's also um, where it comes into play. I was thinking of something like a checklist that we use at the car washes is that it, that it helps. Like I want to use the system because it ensures that I get things done. I don't forget things. So it's, I see it as an aid, not as this cumbersome, oh yeah, I have to do this system or I have to follow this system. But instead, thank goodness I have this system because I don't forget things. Something complex like the opening checklist that might have a hundred items on it. It's like when you're a pilot and you have a checklist, it gives you that comfort that, all right, I haven't forgotten something critical. So it, it plays that role when it's done well. I think it plays that role as well. Exactly. And that actually comes to one of the other points. So it's an excellent point that you bring up. Um, and it also made me think about, I watched this mm-hmm. TED talk about surgeons having checklists for the mm-hmm. surgery because mm-hmm. it really gives them the sense that they haven't forgotten anything. So they're motivated to use the system, use the checklist. But, you know, it actually is connected to the ease of use. Everybody, not just entrepreneurs, will benefit if a system is easy to use. What is it? What does it mean easy to use? Easy to enter information, if it's an informational system. Easy to find this information, like your checklist, for for instance, is always at the same place that is very approachable and very visible, right? It's easy to navigate or easy to interpret the information that you found. So it's very, very clear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for instance, if we're talking budget like before, and I have a client who is very visual, I need to create a good graph that would change when they plug in their numbers differently because for them, it would be easier to understand a graph than to understand a wall of numbers. Or for some people, you know, I would write a story and it would be easier for them to think about their budgets in terms of a story, like what do the numbers tell us, rather than this is 352.62 cents that I charge on this product. Mm-hmm. Um, so ease of use is really, really key. And again, it's it's important for everybody, but it's especially important for entrepreneurs because we are by the very nature of what we're doing, we have more emotion to deal with. We have more stress. So we need it exception, like we need the systems to be exceptionally easy for us. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we said ease of use, we said engagement, we said motivation to use them because they're actually an aid rather than a restriction. Another thing that I found when I was working with my ADHD clients Systems have to be flexible. And here's again where we come into this resistance to something restrictive. When I was planning one of my, actually one of my RISD projects, um, I was planning an imaginary center for ADHD gifted that would have all kinds of, you know, help for ADHD people, all kinds of programs for parents, for entrepreneurs, and so on and so forth. And one of the things, like I remember planning a bookcase in the training room. And in that bookcase, I had a number of drawers for kids with essentially the same kind of programs. But one drawer was blue, one drawer was red, and one drawer was yellow. Why did I do that? I wanted to give people a choice. Hi, Marina. So we'll wrap it up here on this deep dive. But but one thing I want to touch on before we finish up is that I think it's important to talk about the discipline that it does require on the part of us as the business owner and the entrepreneur to make sure that we're executing on these systems. In other words, because we have this attention deficit issue and shiny object syndrome, call it what you may, we're on to the next idea. We can have the tendency to lose discipline and especially with our team of following the system. And we have to set that example for our team. So just want to get your thoughts on that. In other words, we, we can't, we got to let the system do its thing and we can't undermine it just because we don't have the patience for it or don't have the discipline to follow it. Am I making sense? You're making perfect sense. So I've seen this issue rise more times than I can count because when you are the one that's supposed to be in charge of using a system and you're not naturally inclined to be a systems person, we have an issue. Yep. So there are a couple solutions. One, have external accountability. And I want to emphasize the external because internal is essentially your willpower. And contrary to what you know, literature uh, and people like Hemingway tell us, we <laughs> are not 
good at relying on our willpower. Like maybe there are a few exceptions, but as a species, no. So external accountability is huge. It could be your business partner. It could be your business coach. It could be maybe a friend. It could be a group. Masterminds are amazing for this. So get some external accountability to make sure that you use your systems and have this periodic check-ins with like, are you using the systems? Is the system still working for you? So for instance, if you're using a certain, certain software to manage your projects, is Asana still a good way to communicate? Does it get cluttered in three months? Do people actually follow through? How do they feel? Because for instance, I had a client who was using Rike. It's a um, software for managing projects. And within two months, she had an office rebellion because Reich was set up really, really badly. And it was sending emails to people like all day long that did not, oh it did not relate to them and their work. It was just set up really badly. So again, one thing, external accountability and checkpoints with your system. And then when you mentioned, you know, people with shiny object syndrome, which is, you know, we're developing a collective ADD, I think as we're mm -hmm. getting palleted with information, our day and age, Agreed. right? Um, have a built-in idea that every few months, a system might need a shakeup because you'll get bored. Now, it's not necessarily true for big teams and businesses that really have a very set process like a car wash, but it might. So some kind of novelty in using the system has to be baked in when you design it, it has to be built into the process. So when you check in with your systems and you see if it's still working, you can also see if you want to change it up a little bit. And that would prevent, you know, that would prevent you from slipping up just from boredom, right? You yeah. would be still engaged and engagement is key in everything and in systems, especially. Yeah. And, and that that's uh, very important. Like, for example, with bonus systems, I've found that you have to change it up because people start to take it as a something that always happens. It's automatic. And so you you have to change it up for that reason as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Th those are those are great tips and great takeaways, Marina. I appreciate that. Um, let's start to wrap it up. Give us the the summary, if you would, on the services that you and through Vision Framework that you offer your clients today. Summarize that for us, please. So I have two main tracks, two main groups of people who come to me. One group are business owners who really need help with their systems, uh, systems to manage their money, systems to manage better their time and energy, system to better organize their information, and very often their teams. And then I would help them put a system in place, train them, make sure that troubleshooting is happening, that everybody is doing um, what they're supposed to, and that people are comfortable with the system because I make custom systems. I don't believe in cookie cutter. So that's one kind. Another kind, which I find really exciting, is when people come to me with an idea and they need me to help them build a path to launch. So for instance, if you come to me and say, I had this idea for a toy, but I'm not sure how to get it through the testing phase and through manufacturing and through all kinds of safety regulations, how do I do that? Like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. We will build a plan together and a budget and make sure that we can take your idea from concept, at least to the launch phase, to like the idea, I guess, to the feasibility proof phase and so on. So that's kind of a business model building slash project management uh, for people with ideas that want to take them to launch. And that I find it extremely exciting. Mm -hmm. And you have tremendous experience yourself doing that. So I can see where that that's a specialty. I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I bet. Well, great. Um, is there a uh, book that you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend? You know, I thought about this question for a while, and I think the book that I currently want to recommend for everyone, not just coaches, it's called The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier. And this was one of the very few books where after every paragraph, I kid you not, I wanted to kiss the author and say, where do I sign? Because I, <laughs> like, it was so clear and so true, and it resonated so much with how things should be going, how to create a way of working that would make our lives so much easier. And it tells about- Even if even if you're not a coaching business, it applies is what you feel. Absolutely. It applies to everything because in a sense, everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs, you know, we all have obstacles. And in order to go through these obstacles productively and without breaking up, we need this coaching approach. So I really, really loved 
what Michael Bungie-Stanier is talking about and how like he has a way of presenting and so clearly it resonates so much. Like it's, it's not like I didn't know some of the things, but it's one of those books that reflect your own behaviors to you in a ways that make you change your behavior for the better. So I would definitely recommend it. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. And we'll have a link to that book on the show notes page for this episode. Just search for Marina on the uh, website and you'll be able to find the show notes page. All right, we'll wrap it up here in last two questions. And the first one is, what, what's one thing, Marina, that you want us to take away from this conversation, especially in on the topic of systems for small business owners? What's one thing you want us to take away? Don't run away from systems. Systems are there for you. They're not against you. Where would you like us to go online to find out more? Well, you can come to my virtual home. It's vision-framework.com or vision-framework.com if you prefer. And it's all there, my blog, my podcast, uh, the stuff I do, the stuff I hate. <laughs> Come, you know, leave me a note. I really, really love interacting with my readers and I personally respond to every email that I get. So come visit me, vision-framework.com. Wonderful. We'll have a link to that as well on the show notes page for this episode. Marina, this has been a great conversation. I was excited about having you on the show because, again, I can talk about systems all day long. So thanks for sharing your knowledge, your thoughts, your examples. I learned a lot. And thanks for your time and, and sharing your knowledge today. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed our conversation, Henry. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. My guest again was Marina Darlow. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.